while back, we were looking at the church calendar, and we realized that Betsy and Marty would be gone this weekend because Betsy's son, Tucker, was getting married up in Michigan. And so uh, Marty asked if I would fill in the pulpit for him, and I said, gladly I would. But that starts my thought process, processes going, and I begin to wonder, what should I talk about? What should I say? What is it in this kind of a time that any preacher can say to a congregation that might uh, bless them and encourage them and uplift them and strengthen and build up their faith and affirm it? So I began to think and began to think, and realizing the times we live in, I mean, just think about it. We have, of course, all this COVID stuff we're dealing with, and we have... Uh, all the, the mess around the world, especially in Afghanistan and, and that kind of place. We have uh, just been reminded yesterday, terrorism all around the world and 9-11 and its consequences. And, of course, we have uh, even just some 50 miles away almost every night now, they're talking about somebody being shot to death. So it's troublesome times. So what can the preacher say? Well, it's really pretty obvious. I want us today to concentrate on something very positive and very uplifting, and that is this fact, that God cares for us and God provides for us. There is no one else who ever has or whoever does or whoever will care for us more perfectly than our God. Caring for us and providing for us. That's what I want us to focus on today. And I hope that will have the effect in, of lifting your hearts a little bit and encouraging you and, and blessing you. And you leave this place saying, I'm so thankful that God thinks about me and helps me in those many ways that he does. Caring for and providing for. Those are two areas that I find very daunting in my personal life when it comes to the people I know and love. That God is given me the responsibility to do that for, and uh, it's one of the toughest things I've ever faced and still face today. And I need to take that confession just a little bit further and admit that I have messed up many times in that important task, whether it be providing for my wife or my children or fellow believers, whoever it may be, I've just not come up to snuff. I've not been up to par I've not been what God wants me to be and do in that regard. In other words, I'm telling you, I'm confessing to you today that I fall short in that arena. I just don't do as I should all the time. But I don't think I'm alone. All of us probably have failed in the way we care for and provide for those we need to. But even in our failures, I'm here to tell you this morning that there is one who completely and totally and awesomely never fails in that charge or that promise. He is our God. And we're going to see some proof of that in today's message based on a story found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. But before we get to the scripture, let's play everybody's favorite game show. Are you ready? Everybody's favorite game show. Will it float? You didn't know that was your favorite game show, huh? Well, I have with me a little container of water here, and we're just going to play a little game, and you need to guess whether something is going to float or not. Let's start with just such a simple thing as a paper clip. And you think in your mind, is this going to float or not? Keep your own record to see how many you get right and wrong, okay? 
Well, it sank like a stone. So if you guess sink, you're right. How about just a simple little pretzel stick? Will it float? Yes, it does. Now, I know these are small things, and you probably can't see them. Take my word for it, okay? How about just the, the average everyday coffee creamer in a little plastic cup? Will it float? I don't know. Will it? Ah, it does. Okay. You probably know that this little double-A battery, what's it going to do? Sink or float? I need to do this softer than I did it the other night. <laughs> yeah. It sinks like a rock. How about a quarter? What do you think? It's going to sink? Yes, it did. One more or two more. How about just a little piece of bubble gum in a plastic wrapper? Will that sink or will that float? It went to the bottom. How many of you? Well, never mind. We won't ask. <laughs> Finally, a good old granola bar. Will it sink or will it float? Hmm. I think that's because of all the air in the packaging. Well, that's a nice little game, Virgil. Thanks for playing, and I thank you for playing. But what's that got to do with God's Word and being at church? And Why are you being so silly? Well, we're going to consider this illustration as we look today at today's Bible story. This is one of those feel-good stories in the Bible. It goes along with what I want to try to accomplish today. It contains many encouraging spiritual lessons about the extent of God's care and His provision. And as we look at this story, we're going to discover and we're going to take to heart five hope-affirming lessons, five foundational truths that will edify us and build us up and fill us full of spiritual strength and renewal. So let's read together, please, from 2 Kings chapter 6. You can read in your Bible, on the screen, on your device, wherever you may be. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. We had those kind of pains. Still do to some degree for some things we want to do as a church. The place is just too small. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he, Elisha, said, Go. Then one of them said to him, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. And they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. I want to pause there just for a minute. And this idea that Elisha was asked to go and he said yes and he went with them. Let us never underestimate, whether we're talking about God and us or whether we're talking about one with another, the importance of this idea of with. The idea of presence, the idea of company, the idea of being together. There's so much strength in that. And even again in this world that's filled with so much mess and and trouble, we need to keep in mind. Remember the Christmas story? What was one of the names given to Jesus? He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Elisha decides he's going to spend some time with these fellows, and he goes with them. Continuing in verse 5. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Ah, you may see now where the little game plays, right? We're going to see 
that the axe head did not float. (laughs) Oh, my Lord, he cried out. Oh, no, it was borrowed. Well, the man of God, Elisha, asked him, Where did it fall? And when the man showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. The man reached out his hand and took it. That is a feel-good story. The man was desperate. The man didn't know what he was going to do. And I'll tell you some of the reasons why in just a few minutes. But let's understand that if I had brought a big old tank of water and I had brought my big old axe from home and I had dropped it in, it would have definitely sunk to the bottom. And when this axe head flew off the handle of this man cutting down trees... It sank to the bottom and was gone, supposedly lost forever. But when he retrieved that sunken axe head that had floated to the top, I want you to imagine his joy. (sighs) What a relief. How sweet it is that he got his axe head back. And I want you to compare his joy to the joy we hear described in Luke 15. When the shepherd found the lost sheep, when the woman found the lost coin, and when the uh, father found the lost son when he came to his senses and came back home. This is a feel-good story because the man got this axe head back. By the power of God, Elisha brought this troubled man relief and a fresh start and a heart full of thankfulness that God does indeed care and provide. That's the point of this story. God saw the need, and God responded to the need. Now, I told you we're going to look at five uh, lessons or five uh, principles today, and the first lesson is this one. God is adorable. And you're thinking cute and cuddly and fuzzy like a puppy, right? No, I don't mean it that way. The word adorable is simply the two words put together, able to be adored. God is able. God is deserving of our adoration. That's the point here. The story started with some men who were meeting with this great prophet. They met with him to learn and to pray and to study and to prepare themselves to be men of God themselves. And apparently they were hungry for this because when the place they were meeting got too small, they said, let's build something bigger. And they devised a plan to do that. You see, they wanted to be together to give God the adoration that he is due. And we need to be the same kind of people. Our God is one to be adored and honored and loved and obeyed and revered. And that's one of the lessons we can learn from this story is that that's what God wants from us. He wants us to regard Him as the God He is. They wanted a place to assemble, to worship, to learn from God's man, Elisha. They wanted a place to be there so they could be trained and taught. And we learn from that that our God is worthy of adoration, that He is due our love, that He is sovereign, that He is indeed the only one of His kind. There is no one like our God. 
Some of you may remember a popular newsboy song. We even sing it around here every once in a while. The chorus goes like this. It is you we adore. It is you our praises are for. Only you the heavens declare. It is you, it is you. Holy, holy is God Almighty. Holy, holy is his name alone. It is you we adore. It is you, only you. In the 8th Psalm, the psalmist writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how splendid, how wonderful, how marvelous is your name in all the earth. He is to be adored. The Bible uses many other words to describe this feeling, this regard we should have for God. Words like we should extol him and exalt him and lift him up and give him praise and bless him and honor him and worship him and fear him. And many others as well. Lesson one, our awesome God is adorable. But let's move on to this lesson two. And that is this, that not only is God Adorable, but he is also aware. God knows it all. He knows everything that is happening in our lives. Nothing about us goes, um, escapes his sight or his awareness. God sees the big picture. We toss that big word around, omniscient, which simply means all-knowing. God is aware. He saw... The man's axe head fall in the water. He saw it sink to the bottom. He saw the man's broken heart. And of course, we know he met the need. Go to Matthew 6, and it says, Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. I take great comfort in the fact that God is aware of what is happening to me. And around me. And I want you to feel the same comfort to know that no matter how bad things are going, or no matter how wonderful things are going, or what combination that might be, God is aware. He knows what is happening. The 139th Psalm tells us that God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God knows our coming and our going. He knows our thoughts. We are never out of his sight. We are never off his mind. Now, Willie Nelson made a fortune singing those words, you were always on my mind. (laughs) I'm not sure how true that is for Willie, but I am very sure it's true for our God. We are always on his mind. We are the focus of his awareness. We have his heart. And in the same spirit, we know that God saw this man's dilemma and his sadness over the loss. And likewise, he sees and is aware of ours as well. Lesson number three. Yes, God is adorable. God is aware. But God is attentive. 
You see, we go a little deeper with this idea. God is not only aware, but he pays attention to that. It, it becomes an important thing to him as well. Just going a little deeper. He cares about the things that happens in our lives. He doesn't just see them. He gives them his attention. He goes into a response mode when he sees the things in our life. That is because he is a God of compassion. He is a God of empathy. He pays attention to his people. Dear Abby made a fortune saying things like, I care. That was one of her very frequent responses. And apparently it just helped people a lot because they must have wrote her and said, that really helped me when you told me that you care. And that's why I wanted today to share this, what I hope again is uplifting to you, that God cares and he provides. He's attentive to us. Now, I know I've told some of you, particularly those who attended the Sunday school class that I taught uh, during the past years, that in my house, this is how things worked. If dear Dory would have mentioned she was looking for something or couldn't find something, I was pretty quick to jump up and start helping her look. Now, I can't say I did it perfectly or every time, but most of the time, all she had to do was say, do you know where this is? Have you seen this? I can't find this. And I joined right in. Now, I'm not trying to picture myself as any kind of saint in that, okay? Please understand that. But in our home, the opposite just didn't work that way. You know what I mean? When I would announce, I'm looking for something. I can't find something. I need to know where this is. Have you seen this? There wasn't that same jump up and join in the search from her side. Uh, you may think that's not fair talking about her since she can't defend herself. But it illustrates my point to think that God, when he becomes aware of our things, then he becomes, begins to pay careful attention to those things and he joins right in as well. He doesn't leave us alone. You see, this man's loss was a truly big deal. Please understand the situation. They're in this faraway place. They've gone to cut down wood to build this building so they can be with Elisha and worship God and do those things that are so right for us. And he's out there working, participating, helping, feeling good about his involvement. And all of a sudden that axe head flies off and it drops in the water. Well, this is a big deal. This is a problem. You've got to understand, number one, he can't keep working, at least in that fashion. He no longer has the tools he needs to cut down the wood to build the structure. And I think that probably made him sad. Because they said, let's go do this. We want to do this. And it was their idea, and they wanted to get it finished. Another thing that made this a big loss was to understand that today, if, if we lost an axe head in the water, what would we do? Well, we'd run to Menards or Home Depot or Sears or someplace, and we'd get a new one. Ten-minute drive, we're there and back, and we're back in business. You understand it wasn't that way in Bible times? <laughs> Uh, no Sears, no uh, Lowe's or any place like that. So it would have been very difficult to replace. You just can't run to the corner store. I'm fairly sure these axes were a rare thing because you got to understand in the times, an axe 
head made of iron, as the Bible describes it, would have taken somebody a lot of work to craft, would have been expensive as well. And so that's another thing that this causes this to be such a big problem for this man. This is a financial loss for him because he has borrowed the axe, remember? It's not his, he's borrowed it. And when we borrow things, we should be responsible for them. And so he's thinking to himself, I couldn't afford an axe for myself to begin with. I certainly can't afford to replace this one. And even if I do, I'm still going to be without one. So he was suffering a financial burden as well. Yet another part of his problem was this was also a matter probably of reputation for the man. If you become somebody that is known as a borrower who doesn't return what you borrow, your reputation falls apart. And so you see why I say that God is attentive because he recognized, you know, we may think, oh, big deal. The thing fell in the water. Go get you a new one and keep working. But it just isn't the same as well. God is attentive beyond and deeper than just awareness. You know, I think most of us know in this place that very often if you go to Walmart, on the corner there where Wendy sits, there'll be somebody sitting there asking for help. Now, we are aware of that. We pass by it. But how much attention do we pay to it? And I am indicting myself more than anybody else there. Yeah, I'm aware, but it doesn't go much beyond that. But for God, not only is he aware, but he becomes attentive as well. Jeremiah 29, 11, I love the scripture, you know it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants our best for us. He's being attentive when these things come up in our lives. Well, let's move on to lesson four. God is adorable. God is aware. God is attentive. And God is active. See, this takes this thing even one step further. Yes, he's aware. He sees it. Yes, he's attentive to it. He starts thinking about it and concentrating on it. But God then goes to work as well when he sees his people in need. God responds to what happens in our lives. And he provides and he cares. He goes to work on our behalf. He goes beyond just being aware of it and even being attentive to it. He does something to help us. I find great comfort in that trilogy of ideas. God gets busy. And he goes into action for our best. Matthew 6.33 affirms this. You know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? Well, he's been talking about shelter and food and clothing and all the necessities of life. That is the promise of God as he gets active in helping us and meet our need. Paul echoes this thought very strongly in Philippians 4.19 when he says, My God will meet every need you have. My God will supply all your needs. This lesson tells us that God is thorough and he comes through perfectly and that he comes through with the very, very best for us. He acts, he meets our needs, he provides. We sang the chorus this morning. 
God will make a way when there seems to be no way. I'm sure he watched the thing sink down to the bottom of the pond. There's no way. But God wasn't finished yet. Which brings us to lesson five, which might be the the most exciting one. And uh, that is that God is not only adorable and aware and attentive and active, but our God is adroit. Oh, Virgil. Throwing that big word at us now, buddy. What's that mean, Virgil? Some of you probably know, but to be adroit means to be skilled and talented and adept and efficient and resourceful and able. We don't use it a lot in our vocabulary today, but it's a great word that describes the nature and character of our God. And by that I mean God puts together the very best and perfect solution to our needs. Who was there for that man? Elisha. The man God empowered to do miracles. And so Elijah senses the same things that God senses and asks the man, where did it fall? And the man points to the place. He takes this, cuts a stick off, (laughs) throws that stick where the thing fell in, and soon here comes the axe head to the top of the water. Reach in and get it, he told him. You see, God had just the right people at just the right place at just the right time to do just the right thing. That's what the fact that he is adroit means to us. That he's got it all together. That he's got it. If we would say it that way as well. You know, this little point really needs to come home to us in an understanding that not only does God go to work, but sometimes he's got work for us to do as well, being adroit as he is. And by that I mean, and this is the question I want you to ask yourselves today, where does God want me to be an Elisha for somebody else? Who is it that God wants me to be the Elisha to in their life? And ask yourself that question. And when you come up with the answer, go to work. Do the things you can to be God's messenger, God's agent, God's helper, God's hands and feet, if you will. Oh, God is the orchestra conductor. He is the landscape architect. He is the one who sees it all. He is the sports coach who knows what players to put in at what position. God knows how to orchestrate it and put it together. In the Old Testament, when the very Jewish nation was threatened to be extincted, he raised up a woman called Esther. And her uncle said to her, Who knows, but for such a time as this, God has put you here. Friends, for such a time as this, this, that, Maybe that's why God has put you where you are. Philip was willing to join up with a eunuch in his chariot and read him the scripture and teach him about Jesus. The seven original deacons were willing to serve the widows and meet their needs when they were some were complaining about being neglected. 
God skillfully addresses our concerns and needs with the very best resources and helps that we could possibly have. I want to share with you two examples of how I've seen that in my life. And they both come out of the very same circumstance. 2014, I was let go from the church I was serving at. And it was a heartbreaking experience for me. That night, as I went home and told Dory, her words, Virgil, we're going to be okay. (laughs) I wasn't feeling it. Virgil, we're going to be okay. She was my Elisha at the moment. Elisha came to me just 10 days later in the form of a little six-pound, 19-inch little girl. Ten days after this heartbreak, there was this bundle in my hands of love that has just meant so much to my life in these seven and a half years that she's been a part of it. There was my Elisha in a little baby girl. There is my Elisha when just two and a half months later, I was here serving with you. My God came through. And my God will come through for you because he cares and provides. The Bible is full of story after story that affirms these five truths about how much God cares about these five truths and lessons about how much God cares for us and how he provides for us. The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And God gave them the law and the Ten Commandments. He gave them food, manna from heaven. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them guidance, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When 5,000 men plus the women and children were out in the middle of nowhere listening to Jesus and growing to love him and, and, and be with him, they grew hungry and God fed them well with just five loaves and two fishes. When the wedding host ran out of wine, Jesus gathered up the containers and filled them with the finest wine. God had Noah build a huge boat to house the people that he would save and the creatures he would save from the punishment of the flood. When Abraham was out on the mountain about ready to sacrifice his son Isaac, God stopped his hand And looked over and there was a ram caught in a bushes, caught in a thicket that became the sacrifice instead of Isaac. Just pages over in the scripture from where we read today, there was Naaman, mighty warrior and soldier, struck by leprosy, suffering terribly. God put a little Israelite girl into his home as the servant slave. And she told him, you need to go see Elisha. He did, and he was healed. Saul was blind, scared, but God sent Ananias to him to teach him and train him and and help him regain his sight. Daniel was spared from the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spared from the fiery furnace. We could go on and on. This book tells us in no uncertain terms 
that our God cares for us and he provides for us. And no matter how desperate you may get, that fact will never change. Yes, our God is adorable. He's aware, he's attentive, he's active, and he's adroit. This is who and what our God is. And then with all that going on for us, he also has that thing called his love for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to talk about God providing, that is the ultimate example. We were sinners bound for the devil's hell. But Jesus stepped in. God sent him, even when we were in our sin, to make it possible for us to be restored to him. Friends, this morning, if you're here and you need to make a decision about that sacrifice offered for you, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a second here. It would be the time for you to come forward and say, I need to, I need to respond to this. God met my need, my biggest need ever, my greatest need ever, the need I could do nothing myself about, the need that no one else on earth could do anything about for me. Only God could do it, and he did it. And he did it at a very high price. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, the ultimate demonstration of how much and to what extent God cares for you and I, his people, and how well he provides for us. He wants to be your savior. So this morning, as we stand, as we sing, if you've got a decision to make, come forward as we sing about his faithfulness to care and provide.